Good morning. It is Tuesday, August 25th. Welcome to the Joe Moran Show. Uh, Beautiful Tuesday morning. I'm really excited to be here today uh, and keep the conversation going on raising the level of discourse within the business, economic, technology communities, uh, trying to create a level of dialogue where we can be civil, hear each other's thoughts, ideas, and try to get smarter together versus tearing everyone down. So really excited to be here today. It's show number three. Uh, We got a full slate talking about Bitcoin and the futures market um, and really what's happening with Bitcoin in general from a price perspective uh, and and really from an economic perspective. Um, Day-to-day price movements aren't that important, but uh, overall macro themes um, are. I want to dive in a little bit to the Fed chair, uh, Jerome Powell, and his speech on Thursday, uh, which we'll be reviewing. Um, Talk about uh, Kazakhstan and what they're doing in the Bitcoin mining space and why it's it's critical and important uh, to the overall mining community, uh, what it means long term uh, for for Kazakhstan as a country, and the implications to the other major nations that are players in the Bitcoin mining space. And then I want to close it down with some thoughts on American Airlines and you know their plans to lay off a significant portion of their workers uh, when their stimulus package and um, basically their airline bailout money runs out in October. So that's the show for today. Again, super excited uh, to have a conversation with you all and keep providing the feedback so we can uh, keep the dialogue moving. So Bitcoin. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin, I mean, as we all know, is extremely volatile. Uh, last week, around this time, it was over you know, 12,000. Uh, it's dropped almost, I don't know, six, seven, eight percent uh, since that high last week. Uh, I think it was 12, uh, 12,450, somewhere in there. Um, right now, it's about 11,000, let's call it 360. So fairly uh, decent size haircut. There's belief within the community that we could drop to 11.1, you know, potentially even going down, you know, to 10.5. We'll see, right? Um, You know, what I can tell you is the macroeconomic themes that drive people to purchase Bitcoin um, there's, it's never been stronger, right? The case has never been stronger. Um, in fact, you know, people think of Bitcoin as a young person's, you know, young person's gold, right? Digital gold, um, it's a young person's game. Young people understand technology. Uh, you know, we want to protect ourselves against inflation, but, you know, it's a lot easier to purchase Bitcoin than it is to haul around, you know, a hundred ounces of gold, Right. Um, but I think I think that's starting to change. You know, in fact, 
you know, my dad, who's in his, you know, mid to late 60s, uh, and his wife, they have recently purchased Bitcoin. Not only did they purchase it, um, but my dad actually purchased it um, as a hedge and for his company's company's reserves, you know, similar to what MicroStrategy has done and Snap HQ. And these are people that um, my dad has never owned Bitcoin uh, before a few days ago, but has real concerns about the direction of the economy and the amount of monetary and fiscal stimulus that's being injected uh, by the Fed and by the Treasury. So the macroeconomic indicators that are driving Bitcoin's adoption, they aren't going to get weaker. I mean, I guess it's possible that the Fed stops printing and the Treasury stops giving tax breaks or stops social welfare programs. But that would be political suicide for the elites. So the overall macroeconomic indicators are still there. And when we get a thousand point move in a week, you know, downwards, it's been, you know, really, frankly, it's just been a slow drip, right? It's been, it was at, let's see, on the 17th, we had a high of 12,473. And right now we're at right about 11.4, you know, so just over a thousand dollar drop in eight days. Um, It really can't hurt you unless you're in a pinch, right? And you need to monetize some of your Bitcoin. But it's really a tremendous opportunity to buy the dip. And frankly, I'm not sure buying the dip and the decrease in the spot price. So, you know, just buying Bitcoin outright is necessarily the best play. Um if you look at the futures price for a December expiration, it's currently at 11780 So 380 more than the spot price for a December expiration. So we're talking, you know, four plus months out. And yesterday, the price of Bitcoin on the spot was greater than that. You know, we were over eleven eight yesterday, and you're getting a December futures contract at eleven seven eighty for expiration. So, you know what's what's fascinating about Bitcoin psychologically is there's so much noise, um, so much noise, right, due to that volatility, and you know you stare at the price. We know that over the long run, as long as there's consistent demand, the price will go up because you have a shrinking supply base, but you get caught up right in the emotion of it in the swings. And it's difficult to just kind of step back and say, okay, where are we going? Um, What's the macroeconomic uh, themes? Is the Fed continuing to print? 
Is there continued fiscal stimulus? Is it not only happening in the United States, but is it happening globally? Um, and, you know, if those stars align, then you can't really worry about day-over-day price changes and even week-over-week price changes. You know, one of the things that I look at is the valuation metrics on Byte Tree. And the one-week kind of network value is over 30000 Five-week kind of, let's call it, network value to transaction or average transaction value is about 19000 12 weeks, which is what it uses, you know, really it's a uh, combination of these different metrics, but the, for fair value... The twelve-week fair value is eleven six forty-five. So right now the price is actually trading below this twelve-week value, and that's a moving average of the prior twelve weeks. Um, the average transa- transaction value at twelve weeks is twelve thousand four hundred forty-six. So it is you are getting a essentially a discount right now compared to the fair value of the overall network by 1.1%. And I've looked at and done some analysis on these prior average transaction values for Bitcoin uh, because if the value of the network is going up, then price theoretically should follow, right? Um, And that's exactly what happens. Now, it's not every day. You know, they don't move in unison every day or even every week. But over a two to three to four month time period, these prices converge. When I really started to follow the Bitcoin price back in, um, uh, you know, I really started to pay attention, let's call it February, March time frame. Uh, this was trading at a 30% premium over fair value. And right now it's at a 1% discount. So what happened when it was at a 30% premium? Well, the fair value, according to ByteTree and on this metric, it was down close to you know 6,500. So, you know, we had the huge shock and awe back on back I think it was March 12th price dropped to 3000 and something just for a second bounced back up a few week you know really you know maybe a week later we were back at 6 grand and then we've been on the steady increase up to 9 well I can tell you that up until the past few weeks um, that fair value you know was below 10000 and in the last couple of weeks it is shooting up that transaction value is growing extremely fast extremely fast and it's not going to shock me in the least if we're having this conversation three months from now and the price of bitcoin is a lot closer to these average transaction values of let's call it 18, 19, 20 grand 
than us sitting here and we're still having this discussion and it's trading at 11.4. Um, I would just be surprised. I'd be surprised. And the December futures contract is at, it just dropped, is at, is, is at 11.705. So 11,705. When yesterday the price was trading above that at eleven thousand eight plus, nothing has changed in the underlying metrics of the network. The macroeconomic conditions have never been more favorable. And there's been a tremendous gift from the dip if you're willing to take it. If you believe that the price will ultimately follow the macroeconomic conditions and if it follows the underlying metrics of the network, um, which, which I'm absolutely, um, I mean, I'm convinced it's the case based on the the work that I've done, um, these prices will converge. Now, it's possible that the price doesn't move for the next three months and the overall network value, you know, drops and it kind of gets back in line. Um, but it, it, I just, I find that possibility um, and the probability of that event happening to be very low given the macroeconomic conditions. And again, you know, my dad and his wife, you know, they're older. They're not my age. I'm 35, right? They're mid 60s, mid to late 60s. And they're buying Bitcoin. So you have a new user group that's buying in. And that is extremely bullish, extremely bullish. So what I would advise people to do is take advantage of the opportunities. Um, and again, you know, make your own decision. Um, you know, don't take my advice. Uh, do your own research. You know, that whole kind of narrative, right? Um, but if you believe in the protocol, if you think macroeconomic conditions are going to remain the same, which means they're going to, the Fed's going to continue to print, Treasury's going to continue to do fiscal stimulus, the rest of the world is going to follow suit and continue to do the same thing because they got to make it beneficial for their multinationals to export goods. And these conditions, and you've got new adoption, whether it's MicroStrategy, whether it's Snap HQ, whether or not you know it's my dad's business where he's buying Bitcoin out of his reserves uh, to hold on his company balance sheet, you've got new adoption, and so these daily price changes, these intraday price changes, really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. So right now, Bitcoin's at 11412 
And again, that future contract with the December expiration is 11705 So less than 300 Well, shit, it added, I mean, it could add 300 today. And you'll be in the money. You'll already be in the money. So, you know, I think, you know, what I try to remind myself is, and, and I look at all the price moves, I look at all the changes, and, you know, you're just like, holy, you know, holy shit, why, why doesn't it just always go up? You know, there's so much demand. Um, you know, really, it, you know, the macroeconomic themes are there, the underlying metrics are there. Um, why doesn't it always go up? Well, you know, that's just not reality. We have the miners that are, you know, putting Bitcoin onto the exchanges so they can make money uh, and cover their operational costs. So, you know, you kind of got to step away from these intraday movements, these day-to-day -day movements, and look at it in a longer time scale. And I think this is just a tremendous opportunity that we've had this move, just a tremendous opportunity. And, you know, if you're if you're bullish and you're waiting for a time to strike, um, I think the better play instead of buying into the spot market, unless you just want to hold and you're like, hey, I'm holding for the next 10 years. But you're just getting unbelievable discounts and the futures market, um, like I said, I mean, it's we're talking about less than 300 Um price difference between the spot and the future and everything is trending one direction so tremendous opportunity um you know kind of try to not listen to the noise zoom out if you have to look at the overall direction think about the overall themes think about who's adopting um and and all signs really point kind of in one one direction uh, and you know I think this direction is only going to move at a faster rate at a faster clip once we hear Powell's speech on Thursday so Jerome Powell's coming out with a historic he's going to have a historic speech you know, I've seen it defined as his Paul Volcker moment. You know, Volcker was the Fed chair that really was able to wrap his arms around inflation in the 70s when inflation was rampant, uh, raised interest rates significantly, um, you know, which even, you know, was a forced, um, you know, almost a self-imposed recession to tackle inflation, you know, which later spurred um, significant economic growth, uh, you know, after his actions. Well, Powell on Thursday is changing, we believe, you know, all indicate all indications point to a change in philosophical approach to the inflation target. So the Fed has always been shooting for a two percent, a two percent inflation target. Core CPI inflation target two percent. 
and the Fed, even with all of the money printing, the easy monetary conditions, the fiscal tax breaks, has not been able to hit 2% in their core CPI. You know, the Fed believes if inflation's at 2%, then it's signs of a robust growing economy. Um, you know, we're able to pay down pay down debts uh, with future dollars. You know, there's just good, healthy economic activity. Well, with this change in kind of mission, right, to go from a 2% inflation target to an average inflation target at 2%, well, that really signifies and signals to the market that they're going to run this, they're going to run the printing press, right? The um, monetary easing and the, the easy monetary conditions, that's going to continue for a, for, for a long, long time. They are not raising interest rates anytime soon. That's what he's signaling to the market. So if inflation has been less than two for a long period of time, and now they're saying, well, we want to change from a target of 2% to an average of 2%, then that means they're going to try to overshoot 2% for inflation. They could be comfortable with 3 4 5% in the next few years of inflation as the Fed tries to drag this economy out of the impact of the coronavirus. Um, and when we have inflation numbers that are hitting two, three, four, five percent, then that is simple monetary and dollar debasement, right? Your dollar just isn't going to go as far under those conditions as it goes today. And so, again, when you're talking about, you know, Bitcoin, um, and this doesn't just go for Bitcoin, but, you know, these, these prices for hard assets, whether it's Bitcoin or gold, because gold's had a recent dip as well. Sometimes you just got to step back and say, okay, there was a natural pullback or retracement, right? Um, not a bad thing. It's healthy. And you have to understand where the variables are and what's changing the variables, so the Fed hasn't been able to hit their inflation target. So now they're changing it to say, well, it's an average and not a not no longer a two percent target. Well, that means they're just going to overshoot it, which means they're going to have to double down on their current um, kind of current plans and current execution. They're going to have to print more money. The velocity of money in this country has stopped. It stopped moving. So the Fed's doubling down. Interest rates aren't going anywhere. 
You know, the Fed still has a full employment mandate. And that means conditions, monetary conditions, are going to be easy to keep the economic engine running hot. They're not slowing down, folks. They're just getting started. They're just getting started. So when you kind of peel back the layers, again, of price movements, you know, intraday movements, it's important to think about the overall economic themes, what's happening, who are the players, who are the stakeholders, what are their influences over the market, And are price changes reflective of this overall macroeconomic themes and the, the variables, right, that drive uh, drive price ultimately? Um, you know, this Fed speech by Powell. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and I can't wait to I can't wait to cover it with you guys on Friday. You know, after we have ample time to digest it, think about it, um, you know, really understand the implications. But you know, when you're kind of reading the the articles about you know, hey, what's he going to cover? I mean, it is. It's not even more of the same. It is. We are all in. We are pushing the pedal to the metal. And that's why, you know, I strongly feel like the opportunity set uh, for these future contracts right now, I mean, it is a, it is a gift. It is a gift. So... Kazakhstan, they're doing something that is fascinating. And this is a Bitcoin, you know, heavy segment, um, except for what we'll talk about at the end. But uh, Kazakhstan and the government of Kazakhstan, they are fully embracing Bitcoin mining. So what do I mean by that? What do I mean by fully embracing Bitcoin mining? And let's, you know, maybe before we dive into that, let's talk about the history of Kazakhstan and kind of how they viewed crypto, Bitcoin, um, how they viewed it over the past few years and, you know, where I think they think it's going. So, you know, back in June of 17. The National Bank of Kazakhstan considers, you know, blockchain to sh- to sell short-term banknotes. Um, the government is like, hey, you know, digital currency. This makes sense. It gives us control um, over the currency. Uh, we get a lot more transparency into how it's used. Uh, we can get rid of bad actors. 
you know, I think there's, you know, some pros and probably more cons with a pure digital currency uh, if run by a nation state. But, you know, that's that's a discussion for another day. Um, in March of 18, the National Bank of Kazakhstan suggested banning crypto, right? So this would be just over two years ago. In May, a few months later, the Kazakhstan president pushes for global regulation. So he's he is not on board with the national bank, right? You know, banning crypto for the president of Kazakhstan is just not an option, right? So that's two months later. In December, the lawmakers of Kazakhstan call mining purely technological progress. So they're starting to understand what the strategic implications could be for their country in the global war order with Bitcoin mining being a piece of that strategic blueprint. And in December of this year, they'll be signing a law that legalizes crypto mining. So they're working through the regulatory environment, but you can see the direction of where Kazakhstan is headed. So fully embracing it, you know, when people think of the major players of crypto mining, Bitcoin mining, you know, Kazakhstan is not it. Right, you think of two players, you think of China, and you think of the United States. So let's say that China has over sixty percent of the mining, right, of Bitcoin and other cryptos take place because of their cheap energy sources, um, especially during during rainy season, which which we're in right now. But so we call it over sixty percent for China. The United States is just over, let's call it seven percent. Russia is just under 7%. And Kazakhstan, they're shooting to be in that top three. So if this is their mindset, and they're viewing it as a strategic play for their country and the global world order, then they need to do some heavy infrastructure um, to be able to play the game kind of at that scale. And so what they've done is... They are building a 50,000 rig facility that taps into the national energy grid where it is extremely cheap energy. So Kazakhstan is an oil country. They're an exporter. They've got excess you know, excess oil, uh, you know, certainly an energy producer. And they are building a 50,000 rig facility for all of the major players in the crypto mining space to mine at extremely cheap energy costs relative to other countries potentially cheaper than China in non-rainy season certainly cheaper than the United States um, 
you know, unless you tap into uh, a geo, you know, geothermal energy, nuclear, oil and gas, um, hydroelectric. So, I mean, we're talking cheap, cheap energy, 50,000 rigs. The facility has reportedly cost $23 million. So not a huge number, but certainly an investment. But what's fascinating to me about it is it is a strategic play by the government. And then you get into kind of game theory, right? So Kazakhstan's all in. China, they've got this, hey, you know, we're going to allow it. It's not a full ban, but we don't want Bitcoin to encroach on the uh, on the yuan. Um, so I wouldn't say that they're all in. We know that the United States is an all in with Trump um, as the president. I mean, he asked Mnuchin to look into banning Bitcoin, um, you know, a couple of years ago, which, you know, as we all know, is impossible. But it is not a Bitcoin friendly uh government crypto friendly government here um you know the united states is innovation friendly and so they deal with it right but uh i wouldn't call it a strategic play for the united states of america um to have a bunch of bitcoin you know mining facilities and rigs uh that take advantage of this unique opportunity because kazakhstan they're going all in. And they want the country to be a global center for mining. They moved from sixth in global hash in Q3, and now they're fourth. If this mining facility that can host 50,000 rigs is fully operational, this one facility is going to be 4% of the entire hash rate. One facility. It's, it's interesting. It's getting interesting. You know, if China adopted, you know, a national stance where it's like, hey, we're all in. We're building mining rigs. Russia, uh, there are, sorry, excuse me. I mean, they're already building mining rigs. You have a couple... Um, you know, companies that are the major players. But, I mean, if they fully embrace mining facilities and they are nationalized, let's say Russia goes nationalized, what do you think the United States is going to do? you think the United States is going to sit back and let Russia or China or Turkey or, you know, Saudi Arabia, these other players get into Bitcoin mining and you don't think the United States is going to step up and play that game? They'll absolutely be in that game. In Kazakhstan, they're making a play. They see a global world order right now that is changing. That's evolving. The United States is stepping back, right, from being the kind of world police, if you will. We're going to a regionalized, it's likely a regionalized global order. 
and Kazakhstan sees this as an inflection point. Sees it as a tremendous opportunity. And I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. But this facility goes live in September. And their prices, these energy prices, aren't going to change. And miners are just interested in making one they're making interested in one thing and that's making money and if you can cut your energy costs by you know 50 percent 75 percent 90 percent then you can two three four five x your revenue opportunity and your income opportunity and you're going to go there you're going to embrace the cheap energy it's just economics it's just math so something that we'll be following, it's just absolutely, just absolutely fascinating um, how you've got countries that are, you know, fully embracing cryptocurrencies, understand that there's a paradigm shift that's happening in the world. I mean, would it stun anybody if in five years, Kazakhstan has Bitcoin as its unit of account? Wouldn't surprise me. Not if they're going all in. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Not one bit. And the last thing that I want to talk about today is American Airlines. So, American Airlines... In the airline industry globally, right, it's suffering. The pandemic has stopped travel. Um, you know, tourism is down significantly. Even business travel has come to a halt. People are using Zoom, video conferencing like they've never had before. It's, uh, it's pretty dire in the airline industry. So American Airlines took this bailout, there was an airline bailout, you know, American Airlines, Delta, Southwest, um, you know, all of the major airlines got a bailout back in, you know, let's call it April, April, May timeframe. And, you know, this was to keep, keep their operation running. I mean, their cash burn rate was, you know, was off the charts, right? So they get a bailout, you know, the government's like, well, we don't want you to lay off any workers. We don't want you to furlough any workers. Um, you know, this cash will, that's, you know, going to be injected, um, will allow you to maintain or some sort of an operation um, while we work through the pandemic. Well, today American Airlines announces that, you know, they're, they're, they believe that 50% of their flights are only going to come back in Q4. So we're talking about a 50% reduction in flight time for American Airlines in Q4. I mean, that's significant, right? It's already a razor thin margin business and they need to be operating at full capacity to 
you know, to be profitable to make it. And you're talking about a 50% reduction in flight time and miles and travel. So how does an airline make it at 50% reduction in flights? when the revenue falls off that significantly. Well, they're going to lay off 19,000 workers. <laughs> Announced it today. 19,000 workers, goodbye. Thanks for coming. Thanks for all your hard work. Government stimulus lasted through October. We're keeping the workers through October, and once that falls off, goodbye. Unless, of course, the United States Treasury comes to the rescue and does a bailout package. You know, that's the fascinating thing that's been happening, um, you know, really since the pandemic. So there was this liquidity crisis, and Rao Paul talks about this all the time. So we had this monster liquidity crisis where there was a dollar shortage globally. The Fed implemented swap lines with other countries to make sure that they had um, ample dollars to service their debts, injected a tremendous amount of money into the economy um, with PPP, the CARES Act, um, you know, it's an unbelievable amount of stimulus. I think it was a $3 trillion stimulus package. The Fed said that we will be the buyer of last resort on junk bonds. Eliminated price discovery. That was March 23rd. And all it did was, you know, kind of paper over some of the underlying issues that would eventually come to a head if... the overall economy didn't rebound to its previous levels. And let's be clear, it doesn't matter what Trump, President Trump says, the economy is not rebounded. You know, we got 10 million people that are out of a job. Most of those are permanent layoffs. And these, these companies that are at 75 percent revenue of what they used to be 50 percent revenue of what they used to be they're not going to be able to pay their debt back you know so the last 10 years we've had extremely low interest rates easy monetary conditions companies were leveraging up taking advantage of those cheap interest rates and when you lose 50% of your revenue, 75% of your revenue, even if you're a restaurant and you dip below 90% of your revenue, you know, depending on the margin, you can't stay open. And so the solvency issue, we're only going to see more, 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 more of it 
come into the um, you know come into the picture and it's going to require additional stimulus is the United States government prepared to let the airline industry fail absolutely not is the, is the United States government prepared to let Boeing fail? Absolutely not. Is the United States government prepared for the stock market to take a 20% haircut? <laughs> Absolutely not. No way. And it all leads back to one place. Additional stimulus. Additional easy monetary conditions. You know, additional fiscal support. Eventually, Congress, the Senate and the House, they're going to get together and they're going to figure out this stimulus package. It might all need to fall apart before they figure it out. And for some reason, the Republicans still think that the stock market is the economy. But they're going to have to figure it out. Or there's going to be a lot of pain. You know. Is the is the market about to roll over? I don't think so. But without additional stimulus, there will be bankruptcies in a variety of industries. Not just oil and gas and energy. It's going to impact transportation it's going to impact airlines it's going to impact uh, tourism because again like we talked about yesterday the pandemic coronavirus isn't going away people are getting reinfected right so just something to keep in mind guys you got to take the broad kind of macro view and then start drilling down Got to start drilling down, looking at the variables, who are the players, who are the stakeholders, and what are their incentives, and what are they trying to accomplish. And frankly, that is good, um, you know, good advice on how we should approach anything is whenever you're having a discussion with somebody and somebody is telling you what to do, it could be a neighbor, could be a friend, could be a boss, um, could be your husband or wife, what are the incentives and what are the motivations for that individual, for that person, for that company, for that stakeholder, for that government, and when you start looking at life through that lens, you're better able to take a position that leads to success. And it will lead to success. Well, that's what I got for today on the Joe Moran Show. 
I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, it's a very interesting time. And, you know, the economy, um, the macro economy, the pandemic, technology, currencies, they're all playing a role right now. It is a fascinating time. Fascinating time. They are all playing a role. And at the center of it, at the center of all of these things, all of these stakeholders, is one thing. At the center of the economy, currencies, government, politics, technology, the center is one thing. And that's Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin. So, hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their day. Really enjoyed the discussion in the last 45 minutes or so. And until tomorrow, let's keep our ear to the grindstone.